And I titled the message, Where Your Treasure Is. Where Your Treasure Is. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, it is your word that we should order our life under and submit to. I pray that that would be true of our lives as we look at your word. We look at a section in Malachi 3 that is a very uh, famous section, very well-read section of scripture. And I pray that you would give us wisdom and insight as to how we we are to apply this to our lives. And I pray that we would be ready to hear it and to receive it. And I pray this morning that you would help me to open my mouth to preach your word and to exalt Christ. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible has a lot to say about, about money, about money and possessions. There's a lot to say about it. We, we could really, I could do a series on finances for many, many weeks just looking at what Jesus said about finances, how he talked about money and possessions and our relationship to it. And if you think about money and finances, possessions, but in particular money, there's really not any area of our life that's not touched by money. If you really just stop and break it down and think about our lives, money touches so many different areas. You know, we, 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 we need money to, to, to provide food for ourselves and, and to pay for our mortgage or our rent or to put gas in the car, to go to work. And, and we go to work because they give us money so that we can put gas in the car, to come back to work so that we can have food to eat, so that we can stay alive, so we can go to work to make money. To, you, you get the point, right? Money touches every area of our life in some way, shape, or form. And you think about the holiday season and, and money and the ability to purchase gifts and, and to buy things for those that we love. It, it's, it's such a big part of the holiday season. I mean, they start the, the move towards uh, the Christmas season as concerning the way the world sees it. Uh, it used to be Black Friday was the day, but now it's like a week before Black Friday now, or I don't even know what they call it now. And then you got Cyber Monday, and everything is centered around your money and, and, and the goods and the services you want to purchase to give to somebody else or to give to yourself. How many of you shop for yourself for Christmas like I do? I, I buy my own Christmas gifts sometimes. Um, but, but money is such an important subject because money is a, it can be, it, it, it is, the way we deal with it, the way we handle it, the way we see it, it is a reflection of the condition of our heart. And that's not just something that I, that I think, that's something that Jesus said, Matthew 7, Jesus said this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. How do you get treasures? From money. Or money can become a treasure, right? Do not lift up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So our, our heart has the ability to, to, to treasure things, to place high priority on things, and those things become the treasure of our heart, and we, 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 we can tend to worship the things that we treasure. And so money and possessions are connected to our heart and our affections. And, and Jesus tells us this in Matthew 6. And, and I just want to say this as a side note before we continue on in this message. I think our congregation is one of the most generous congregations in the in America, in the world, you, know, you have such a generous giving heart and, and the, your treasure is to invest in the God's kingdom. And one reflection of that is that this year, 
our, our Angel Tree sponsorship, we had the most children sponsored this year in the history of Living Word Church. And that's over 42 years. We had 81 children that were sponsored and got gifts. And so today, parents and families came today. Maybe some of you are part of, the, uh, are here because of that, and we welcome you. We're glad that you are here and able to receive these gifts that church members purchased. And what a great blessing. You guys have a heart of generosity. And when we're thinking about Malachi 3, and this is kind of where we're at in Malachi 3, um, um, Malachi 3 focuses on giving, on tithes, on offerings. But, but the heart of what the Lord is doing in Malachi is he is, as we've seen the last two weeks, he's confronting where God's people had strayed. He's, he's revealing who they had become and what they had abandoned. And that is the history of the nation of Israel. They had served God and loved God and then they would stray from God. And you see this in Malachi 3. In the first five verses of Malachi 3, it won't be up on the screen, but the Lord is saying to the nation of Israel, he's saying that he's going to purify his people and that he will judge the evildoers of the nation. And then look at Malachi 3, verses 6 through 7. It says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Isn't that good news? The Lord doesn't change. O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. Therefore, because I don't change, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. He basically said that I'm going to keep my promises. And you should be glad that I'm keeping my promises. Because if I wasn't a God who kept my promises, you might be consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return. So how had they strayed from the Lord? As we saw two weeks ago, the priests were not doing the sacrifices in the temple as God had prescribed them to do them. They were, they were sacrificing and receiving animals that were blind and lame and were not spotless and pure. And, and then the, the priests were not handling God's word properly. They weren't giving the whole counsel of God's word. They were withholding information from God's people. And as a result of that, the nation themselves in particular, we saw last week in their relationships, in, in their marriages, and, and, and in, in connecting with idolatry and pagan nations through, through relationships, the, the people were straying from God. So God is saying here in Malachi 3, he's saying, I want you to return to me, but you say, how shall we return? This is interesting. God says, I've not changed. You, you have. You've changed. I stay the same, but you have left me. You have turned aside from my statutes. Return to me. And the people say, how shall we return? And so what are the people saying when they say, how shall we return? God's reading their heart and their attitude when he says that. He's saying return, and he knows that they're thinking, how have we returned? How shall we return? We haven't left. I think the, 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 the mindset of the nation is, God, we didn't leave you. you. You left us. Look at the history of our nation. You've left us. But in reality, they had been leaving God. It was a pattern of their life. They would leave God. And so in this section of Malachi 3, the Lord gives them, says, okay, you want to know how you've left me? You want to know how you've abandoned me? Here's a Here's another way. I talked to the priests and I talked to the people about marriage and relationships, but now where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now I'm going to talk about money and possessions and what I've required of you. Look at Malachi 3. Many of you have heard this for many years. Malachi 3, 8 through 12. If there's one section of Malachi you have heard, it's been this section. So how have you, how have you left me? Oh, I tell you, will man rob God? 
Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Wow, what a section. You've heard that many times. If you grew up in church, you've heard this section many times. Some of you, maybe you've heard this for the first time. What does that mean, robbing God and tithes and offerings? And here's another message about money. Hang tight, we're going to unpack what I believe this section is saying and what it, how it applies to our lives. The main point of this message it would, would be this, that God calls his people, which he's calling his people Israel in Malachi's day, God calls his people to order all of their lives, finances included, under his authority. You remember what I started with, that finances touch every area of our life? There should be no area of our lives, including our finances, that are not submitted under God's authority. And this is what I think the main point of this section is. is Israel, you are not ordering your life. Priests, you're not ordering the temple. People, you're not ordering your relationships and, and people, nation, the nation, my people. You're not ordering your finances and my commands concerning your goods and your possessions the way in which I've called you to do it. So... I want to ask a question. The question is this. What had God's people forgotten as concerning their possessions and what God commanded concerning those possessions? You have two things that they've forgotten and then kind of one final charge that we're going to look at here this morning. So here's the first thing that they had forgotten. Here's the first thing. God is the owner and we are his stewards. God is the owner and we are his stewards. Look, at the, look back at the text. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And he tells them, in your tithes and contributions. So when God says to his people, you have robbed me, the assumption is, is that, it, that something belongs to God. You can't rob from God something that doesn't belong to him. So what the nation had forgotten in principle is that God is the owner of everything and we are his stewards. God's the owner and we are his stewards. So will a man rob God? The point is that he owns something, God owns something, and his people have robbed him of what he owns. Of course, they, they, they ask, well, how have we robbed you? Of course, it's in tithes and contributions. And I want you to notice it says that God says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. So, so how were the people of God in Malachi's day robbing God? They were not obeying the laws he had established for the running of the temple and the provision for the priest and to care for the poor. That's what the tithes were intended to do. They were not obeying the laws. Just as the priests weren't obeying the stipulations of the Levitical law concerning the sacrifice, just as the, 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 the priests weren't obeying God to preach his word as they should, and just as the, the, the people were not obeying God concerning their relationships and what the law told them that they should do, in this area, in tithes and in offerings or contributions, they were not obeying God. They were not bringing the full tithe. This is why God says to them, bring the full tithe. They were bringing a portion of it. They were bringing a part of it. It wasn't the full tithe. So that begs the question, what is the tithe? 
What, 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 what is described here in Malachi 3 and in other portions of the Old Testament? What is the full tithe? What is the tithe? Well, the, the word tithe, many of you know, means tenth, 10%. But notice, notice this is so important in the context of this, this message in Malachi 3. God says to his rebellious people, bring the full tithe. So it's more than just, I think the picture here, and we'll see as it unfolds, it's more than just a 10%. And that's clear throughout the Levitical law and what was required. It was more than just 10%. Well, where do we see this? So, so, so as Matt said, yeah, you're going to have to be quick with your scripture or look at the screen. Let, let, let's explain what the full tithe was. There, there were multiple tithes that God had established for the nation of Israel. It wasn't just 10%. The tithe was not just 10%. There was multiple tithes, multiple 10% of their produce and their, and, and, their, and their offering that they had to bring. And so some theologians, and I, I believe rightly, uh, see that this tithing system for the nation of Israel was more like a taxation system for the nation, to care for the nation. It was a theocracy. God was in charge. This is before uh, uh, this came into place, before there were kings and and. And, and uh, for the nation of Israel. And this was a way to provide for the nation, to meet the needs of the poor, to take care of the temple and the sacrifices. It was more of a taxation. And so what were the tithes, the, the multiple tithes? The, they weren't bringing the full tithe, but what was the full tithe? Well, the first is the Levitical tithe. This tithe was to be given for the support of the temple and the priest. The priest did not have an inheritance in the nation, and this tithe provided for that. You see this directly from Numbers 18. Verse 21 and 24, to the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that, that they do. The Levites were, the priests came from the Levites, they're the ones who ran the temple, the sacrifices, handled God's word, handled God's law. Their service, this is to give in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore, I have said of them, they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel. So the first tithe, first tenth, was designed to go to the Levites for the running of the temple. And, and when we think of tithe, we think of money, don't we? We, we think of money. But, but in this time what they're talking about it's not just money but it was animals it was produce it was it was the provision for the temple it was animals for the sacrifices in the temple it was produce it was provision to take care of the levites and the priests this is the first tithe the levitical tithe next you have the festival tithe this tithe was to be given for the provision of the nation to celebrate the feast days that commemorated god's sustaining power with his people. So you know the feast days, right? You had the feast of Passover, you had the feast of booths, you had, you had the, 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 uh, uh, the Sabbath day, and you had other celebrations and feast days that the nation of Israel would celebrate, and they would be required to bring a, a tithe of provisions so that the nation could celebrate. Look at Deuteronomy 12. You shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock. And you shall eat before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice, you and your households. This is a, so the context here is sitting around the, the feast days and the festivals. And all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall bring all that I commanded you. Your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, and the contributions that you present. And all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. You and your sons and your daughters, your male servants, 
and your female servants. And don't leave out the Levites and the Levite that is within your town, since he has no portion of inheritance with you. So you had the Levitical tithe, the festival tithe, and then you had the tithe for the poor. This was the tithe that was given specifically for, for provision for widows, fatherless, and the sojourner. This is directly from Deuteronomy 14. Listen, at the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your town shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Wow, three tithes. Some commentators say there's four tithes. Uh, the Levites were required, so, the, it, 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 our, so this would be a fourth tithe, but it was specifically required of the priests. The priests were, tithed, were required to give a, a tithe of the tithe. So as the people provided for the temple and gave the, the Levitical tithe, the priest would be required to give a tithe of the tithe that they received, but that tithe, that fourth tithe, was not for the entire nation, but specifically for the priest. You guys tracking with me? Multiple tithes. So if you're quick with math, and you understand a little bit, I'll explain some to you. It's not 10%. It's, 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 some commentators say it's upwards of 30%. On average, it would have been 23.3% that they were required to give. Every three years, if you, if you add in the, the tithe to the poor, you'd be up to 30% that the nation of Israel, and if not more, when you're talking free will offerings and vow offerings and all the different types of offerings, you're talking 30 to maybe 40% they were required to give to the, to the temple, to the nation of Israel for the provision for the poor, for the needs of the temple, for the sacrificial system. This is the full tithe. So when Malachi is prophesying to the people of God, God is saying to them, you are not obeying me. I have said, here are the tithes, the Levitical tithe, the, 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 um, the, um, the festival tithe, thank you, Matt, and the tithe of the poor, and you're not giving the full tithe. You're robbing me of what I have told you you are to do. God tells his people, Bring the full tithe. So, we cannot move on from this section without answering the obvious question. Well, you, you, you might be able to move on, but I can't move on without answering the obvious question. Here's the obvious question. Are Christians required, as Israel was, to pay the tithe? Before you answer quickly, let me talk to you about it. To answer that question, I have another question. Are there any Christians who are paying the full tithe that Israel was required to pay? As we just saw in Scripture. 23.3%, some years 30%. Now, are there any Christians? I would venture to say yes. There are some Christians who are not trying to obey the full Levitical tithe and the festival tithe and the tithe of the poor. And they are giving 30, 40 I've heard people say that they're living off of 10% and they're giving 90% away of their income. What a blessing that people have the capability of doing that. But here are the stats for Christian giving. The national average for giving for Christians is 3% of their income. And the average number of people giving 3% is 6% of any congregation. Did you track that? The national average for giving for any Christian is 3% of their income. 
6% of any congregation are the ones that give. So, so, so 6% of the congregations are the ones who give that 3%. So in essence, God could be writing the same letter to us today if we are required to give the 23.3%. All of us are robbing God. Technically, if that's the case. So if we're going to say that Christians are required to keep one portion of the Levitical law in tithing, then we need to make sure we're actually doing it right. So to say that you are a tither and you're only giving 10%, you're actually not really. If you're, if you're going to say that you're obeying the tithe of the Old Testament, that you're a tither as it's really laid out, and you're only giving 10%, you actually are not a full tither, and you would fall into Malachi's rebuke. Why are you robbing God of the full tithe? You guys glad you came to church today? <laughs> the answer to the question is this. Are Christians required to pay the Levitical tithes? Christians are not required to keep any part of the Levitical law. That's the right answer to the question. And so we have so often divided the Levitical law into different categories and we've said, well, 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 for the tithe, we need to hang on to that one because we need to have some way to get money into God's house to take care of God's business and to spread the gospel and but I'm going to give you the whole counsel of God's word here. This is what the tithe is. It's not just 10%. And so Christians are not required and mandated to keep the Levitical law. There are many other laws within the law of Moses and the Levitical law that, that we're not required to keep any of it. Like the sacrificial system. Are you not glad and grateful that today, as a part of your offering, that, that you... Don't have to bring an animal for me and Matt and the other elders to sacrifice on the stage. There's not blood splattered all over the place. Aren't you glad that Christ is the once for all sacrifice for the sins of the nation, for the sins of all who would believe in him, right? And there were dietary laws. There were cleanliness laws. I could have read through the book of Leviticus and gone through all the different laws for the nation of Israel. And the point of the, the laws in Leviticus and the other laws that you know, separate from the, the Ten Commandments, the moral laws, all the, the Levitical laws, the cleanliness laws, the dietary laws, it was to keep them separate from pagan nations. It's so that they would be separate from other nations. This is, this is so that they could be a, a theocracy and that, the, and that money could be given amongst a nation for the running of the temple so that the work of God could move forward amongst the nation. But we don't live under a a theocracy as Israel did. We, are, we, we don't live under that same system, right? And so the answer is no. Christians are not required to bring 23.3% of their income to the church. It's not a requirement. And I don't know how else to, to say it or to be any clearer than that. And so the next obvious question is, well, then what should we do? What should Christians do about finances? How, how are we? Who, who, what should, what should Christians do about giving? Well, I'm glad you want to know. Do you want to know this morning? I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. God was asking questions of Israel, and, and, and I can read your mind. You, you, you're, you're, uh, you're wanting to know, well, what, Pastor Ben, I never heard a preacher say that, that they shouldn't tithe, that, that, that people shouldn't tithe. That's not what I'm saying either, and we'll explain that in a little bit. But I'm glad you asked. What about giving? So the people had forgotten that they were under the mandate to give the full tithe. They, the, the point is they weren't ordering their lives as God had commanded. And God had commanded Israel to give some years upwards of 30% of all of their income and all their goods. And they weren't obeying. 
What else had Israel forgotten? They had forgotten this, that our relationship to God should not be transactional. Our relationship to God should not be transactional. God is the owner and we are the stewards and our relationship to him should not be transactional. You know what a transaction is, right? I, I, goods and services, I give you money and you, you do something for me. You, we have a transaction. Look back at Malachi 3. After God tells Israel, you have been robbing me of the full tithe. Listen to their complaint. This is directly tied to God telling them, that they've been robbing him. Listen to what they say. God says to them and what they say. Malachi 3, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is a prophet of, of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. You're robbing me, Israel. You're withholding the tithe, the full tithe. You're not obeying me. And what do they say? They say, what is the profit of obeying you? What's the profit of keeping your charge? What's the profit of of obeying you? How does it benefit us to obey you in the full tithe? And what is their reasoning for asking that question? Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. They say, look at the world. They don't give you the full tithe. They don't give you any tithe. And look at them. They're doing just fine. What does it profit us to obey you with our money and our possessions and our goods? And they, they argued, yeah, nothing. Sometimes they probably felt like they were worse off. Look at the world. They don't obey you. They don't give to you. Yet they're blessed. They're doing okay. Israel, listen, what was going on? Israel in Malachi's day had the same mindset that we're tempted to have about God. We're tempted to see our relationship with God like a transaction. I do this, and God does that. I obey God, and I only get blessings. I give my 10%, right? And I only get blessings. I give to God and he gives back to me. The transactional relationship Israel had with God leads to an unhealthy view about finances or tithing. Maybe sometimes people might have this mindset. I'm paying my tithes and look how blessed I am. Tithing works. It works. It's a transaction. I pay. God does his part. I give, God does his part. It works. It's a lever to pull. It's a lever to pull. It's a, it's a magic pill. But what about the person who is working the system, pulling the lever, giving their 10%, but the system isn't working? Maybe, maybe sometimes you've had this thought, I paid my tithe and I can't make ends meet. Or we're overwhelmed with unexpected bills. When actually the argument should, should be, the, the discussion should be, not are you paying your tithes, how are you managing the rest of the money that you're not giving to God? That's the bigger question. And so, so often we say, well, I've given my 10%, I've given the portion that, that I'm setting aside, and, and God's beholden to make sure that, that, that the rest of my 90% is not cursed. Right? But then I'm living on credit cards, I'm doing sports betting and gambling, Right? I'm going out to eat every night of the week when I can't afford it. Right? And so then we wonder, I can't make ends meet, I can't pay my bills. That, there, there are bigger issues than just whether or not you're giving the percent that you think you're required to give. 
When giving is connected to a legalistic approach or a transactional mindset, we miss the point altogether. So again, I'll, I'll say, new covenant Christians are not required to give the 23.3%. So, so we're not going to be looking at your giving records at the end of the year and find out who gave 23.3%. Right? That's between you and the Lord. And here's, here's what we're going to see. What is the standard for new covenant giving? And just, just for note, there is no direct command in the New Testament that the Levitical law in any area transfers into the new covenant. In, in any area, much less tithing. You can't find it. There's some scriptures that people try to twist out of context and make it seem like that tithing gets over into the, into the new covenant. And again, I've given you a lot of information now. I don't have time to go into all of it, but if you're interested, call me. We'll sit down and talk. Um, but there's not any direct command that tithing connected to the Levitical law is required for us as Christians. So then what is the standard then? Well, here's the standard for new covenant giving. First Corinthians chapter one, here's a great picture, a great example. Now concerning the collection for the saints, this is the church in Corinth, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are also to do. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside, store it up as he may prosper, so there will be no collecting when I come. So, so the first principle we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this is kind of just the idea of a principle, that, that the first day of the week, which is the Lord's Day, you'd set something aside to give. It's a principle. Here's the, the bigger overarching principle for New Covenant giving, the more comprehensive. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That's a principle. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. Sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So what's the standard for new covenant giving? What you decide. What you decide. That's the standard. What you decide based upon your prayer and your time with the Lord, what you feel like the Lord is leading you to give. And when you do it, what's the text? Don't do it reluctantly, like you're squeezing, you know, squeezing, uh, what's, what's, what, what's a president on one of the bills? You're squeezing Lincoln or you're squeezing, no, Lincoln's on the penny, right? I don't know. <laughs> you had to squeeze really hard to make Lincoln cry. You don't give it reluctantly. You know, like, like you're balling up your money and you're fisting it into the bucket. Don't give it reluctantly. Don't give it under compulsion, 23.3%. I got to pull my lever. I got to pay my tithes like I pay my electricity bill. I got to keep the blessings on, right? Not under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. So you guys tracking with me? Let's break this down a little bit more. Keep tracking with me, okay? So let's continue. What's the standard for giving based upon 1 Corinthians 1, 2 Corinthians 9? And here's many other scriptures. We're going to go over some other scriptures. The standard for giving is generosity and not a percentage. It's generosity and not a percentage. That is our standard. It's not a percentage. It's generosity. It's not a percentage because my percentage might be more than your percentage, and your percentage might be more than mine. It's generosity. Generosity for some would not be generous for others. Jesus 
pointed this out in Mark chapter 12. And he sat down opposite the treasury. People were given money to the temple. And he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which made a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to him, Truly I say to you, the poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Can you imagine? The disciples were like, I can't figure this guy out. He's so confusing. The last shall be first, the first shall be last. He's talking about dying. I don't understand this guy. Look at those rich people. Look at all the money they put into the offering box. They gave large sums of money, and this poor little widow comes in and gives the equivalent to a penny, and he says she gave more. What? And here's his reasoning. He says, for they all contributed out of their abundance meaning they had a lot left over. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Wow. The standard for giving is generosity and not a percentage. The standard for giving is the heart and not legalism. We are not giving because we're under a legalistic standard. We give because we desire to. Isn't that all of what Christianity is about? Think of all the areas in which we live. When we get out of a heart relationship to, to the Lord and we start walking in legalism, we've missed the point. We've missed the point. The standard for giving is the heart and not legalism. We're not giving because we're under legalistic standard. Jesus confronts the legalism of the Pharisees in their game. Look at Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law which are justice and mercy and faithfulness these you ought to have done without neglecting the others you blind guide straining on a gnat and swallowing a camel what is Jesus telling the Pharisees by the way this is a proof text for some that tithing is in the new covenant when Jesus said these you ought to have done without neglecting the others what was Jesus saying when he told these Pharisees who were under the Levitical law these you ought to have done he told them, yes, you're to obey the Levitical law. Absolutely. Because the new covenant wasn't there yet. He hadn't died yet. He was looking at Pharisees and telling them, yes, pay your tithes. It's in the law. But you're hypocrites. You're giving all of your money. You're, you're not only giving all your goods and your produce and your money, but you're going to your spice cabinets and you're, you're pinching out 10% of what you think your cumin is and your dill and your spices and your Tony Sasseries and your... Right? You're pinching all that out and you're giving all that. And he gives, it, he gives an example. You blind guides. You're blind. Straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Here was another idea of the cleanliness laws. The Jews believed that the, most un, uh, the, the smallest unclean animal or bug was a gnat. And so for fear of drinking an unclean thing, they would strain their drinks to make sure they didn't have a gnat in their drink and they would unmistakably drink something that's unclean. He says, you're, you're hypocrites. You're neglecting the things that you should do because you think you're being holy by doing all these other things. You missed the point. The standard for giving is the heart, not legalism. Here's another standard. The standard for giving is cheerfulness and not reluctance or compulsion. This is straight from 2 Corinthians. We give out of the overflow of a cheerful heart that has been changed by the gospel. We're not reluctant, nor are we motivated by coercion. 
We don't twist your arms here to give. It's, it's of your own free will. Now listen to this. To me, this is one of the most powerful sections of Scripture as concerning giving. And this has nothing to do with legalism, with a 23.3% percentage, a lever to pull to try to keep the blessings going. Tithing works. Look how blessed I am. This is, this is amazing to see the heart of God's people and what it really looks like for generosity. This is St. Corinthians 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So the people of Macedonia were wanting to give to the church in Jerusalem because of the persecution they were under. Listen to this. Paul describes the Christians in Macedonia. He says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. Have you ever, you ever seen words come together that don't seem to go together? Have you, have you, you've experienced that, right? You, you, you words that are together, but they don't go together. Let's read that again. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. How many of you have walked through extreme poverty and have just been overflowing with joy? Is that a normal human reaction? It's not a normal human reaction. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, and listen to this, it's basically they've worked together to overflow in a wealth of generosity. Isn't that powerful? For they gave according to their means, and I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. May we be like the Macedonians, right? Amen? Hearts of generosity. I thought long and hard about this message for five years and when I was ever going to preach it. This is the first time I'm preaching this message on a Sunday. I thought long and hard about this. And I knew I've had this stance about Levitical tithing for many, many years. And, and I've thought of what people might say. It's a dangerous spot to be in as a preacher, worried about what people might say versus what God's word says. I mean, it just, I, we could, I, could, I could have taken you on a really long journey and really showed you some more depth of, 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 of this. But the Bible is so clear. If you're only giving 10% and you think your 10% is keeping the tithe, you're deceiving yourselves. You're actually not. The tithe is at least 23.3%. So I've wondered what people might say. They might say telling Christians they're not required to keep Levitical tithe will cause them to stop giving. Freedom! We don't have to give anymore. I think the opposite is true. Christians should be the most generous givers. Like the 81 children that we sponsored for, 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 the, for the Christmas gifts. That's why I opened up with that. What a great example. We, we should be the most generous givers. A Christian who doesn't give is an oxymoron. Right? It's incongruent. The question is not, should you give? The question is, how much? 2 Corinthians 9, what, what do you decide in your heart? What do you want to give? And here's what I'll tell you. There is nothing wrong with using a percentage of your income as a standard for what you give. So I see the tithe as a principle, not a mandate. So 
So many of you, you've been ordering your life by 10%. God bless you if that's what God's called you to do. But for some of you, you can't give 10% of your income at this season of your life. But your goal should be if you're at 3%, 4%, 5%, if, that's, if you're working off of a percentage standard, your goal, I think, as a, as a Christian is how can I increase that giving? How can I not give less? How can I give more? And the Bible says, so sparingly reap sparingly, so bountifully reap bountifully, right? So I don't think there's anything wrong with ordering your life and your finances under the authority of God through a percentage. The point is, is that it's God's. And God, what do you want me to give? So for some, 10% would be a generous, sacrificial gift. For others, it would not be. For some of you, you've been given 10% for all of your life, and, and you think you've just, I've been doing my thing, I've been doing my thing, I've been writing a check, I've been doing my thing. And all these years, maybe you've not been as generous as God would have called you to be. Because you've just been given that 10% when you could give much more than that. So here's another principle, Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. I, this is kind of more of where I, I, I lean. I, I see this in the New Testament of, of giving as the Lord's laid on your heart to give. But, but also Proverbs 3 tells us this, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth. That's the principle. The principle is to honor the Lord with your wealth. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And with the first fruits of all your produce. That your barns may be filled, your vats bursting with wine. So I think there is a principle of of honoring the Lord with the, the, the first fruits. If you're always giving God the leftovers, you're going to give him less and less every month. Give to him at first, first day of the week, 1 Corinthians 1, as we, as, we, as we read. Set aside, what am I going to give when I come to church? What am I going to give to the Lord? How am I going to honor him? Not under a legalistic standard where I'm pulling a lever that because I pull this lever, God's maintaining his blessing on me. No. God, how can I be a blessing? Because you, through the power of the gospel, has changed me. To say that Christians are required to pay the, the, the Levitical tithe or be cursed is not biblical. It's not biblical. I want to end with the charge that Israel in Malachi's day was not considering. So, what have we learned so far? God is the owner, we are the stewards. God is the owner and we are the stewards. I can't remember my second point, Matt. Our relationship with God should not be transactional, thank you. Uh, three, we are called to live like we belong to God. We're called to live like we belong to God all of our life. And this is the point of this book, Malachi. The people of God were living like their lives belonged to themselves. Look back to the text, Malachi 3, 16 and 17. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And the book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the, the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Isn't that good? Those who fear the Lord and esteem his, his name. Do you fear the Lord here today? You esteem his name. What does it mean to fear the Lord and to esteem his name? Those who reverence or worship God. To value highly his name, to esteem his name, to stand in awe of him. What does it say? It says, they shall be mine, my treasured possession. My treasured possession. And may we live like that is true. 
If you are in Christ, you are his treasured possession. If you have placed your faith in him and he is your Lord and Savior, you belong to him. You are his treasured possession. And we should live as if we are his treasured possession. We're called to live like we belong to God. No part of my life is my life. No part of my life belongs to me. That's what God wanted for his people Israel. That's what God wants for his people today. No part of my life is my life. First Peter 1, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. You weren't bought back with silver or gold, but you were bought with the precious blood of Christ like a lamb without blemish or spot. You don't belong to yourself. If you're a believer, you belong to Christ. Amen. My life is not mine. Look at verse 18, last verse of Malachi 3. Then once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Isn't this what was happening amongst the nation of Israel? The world, the nations around were looking at them, and you couldn't tell the difference of God's people from the world. Because why? The priests weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. The people were intermarrying and living sexually immoral lives with people of pagan nations. The husbands were divorcing their wives. They weren't honoring God with their finances. They weren't obeying his law. The world looked at them and said, hey, you look just like us. And they were looking at the world saying, they look pretty good too. Everybody was looking at each other thinking everybody looks pretty good. We all look the same. And God's saying, "Uh uh-uh, wrong, time out, you're my people. And there will be a day when those who fear my name, who honor their life under my authority, you're going to be able to tell that they look different than the world. Because their lives, all of it, is ordered under God's authority. So what is the distinction between the righteous and the wicked? What are the differences between those who serve God and those who don't? Here's the difference. Believers in Jesus do not live for themselves. No area of the believer's life should be lived outside of submission to the will of God. Private, public, relationships, marriage, work, finances, possessions, it all belongs to God. That's the point of Malachi. You're mine. The point is, you're my treasured possession. Now start living like it. Start living like it. It all belongs to God because we belong to God. Amen? So if you leave this message today thinking, Pastor Ben said we don't have to tithe, and so you stop giving, you missed the point. Because <laughs> these lights, they don't come on for free. I'll tell you that much. Especially during the summer. But I pray, my heart is, is that you would leave with this heart right here. This is Jesus, Matthew 6, back again. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. So what are the two masters Jesus says you will serve? It's either going to be him or what? He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and what did we start with? Money touches every 
area of our life. You will either serve God or you will serve money. Money will either rule you or you will rule over money. And my question to you is, is how will God use the money he's loaned to you for his glory and his kingdom purposes? How will he use what he's entrusted to you for his kingdom purposes? Serve God or serve money. Amen? And God's so good to us. He's so good to us. To me, that's what I think of every time that auto draft for my giving goes out every week. That auto draft, I get a notification on my Capital One app. Living Word Church has just gotten money. Every time I do that, I think, God, you're so good to us. I can give to you and worship you through my giving. My prayer is that you would have that same relationship to finances and to giving. Amen. Remember his goodness. Would you pray with me? Would you stand to your feet? We're going to end praying and end singing about the goodness of God and how good he is to us. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word and what it does in our lives. Your word is true. And may we live under the whole counsel of your word. Not just selective portions that we that we want to believe or or it's convenient to believe. God, may we live under all of your word and, and what your word is saying to us as, as Christians. Lord, and may we order our lives according to it. God, may there be any portion of our life that we're withholding back from you. Maybe there are some here today that they, they, they've not been honoring God with their finances. Maybe they feel like they can't do it. They can't afford it. God, I pray that they would not see it like that but that they would see it, they would see giving as an act of worship. And they, 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 they would begin to honor you and give from the abundance of their heart, with generous hearts, and to trust you with their finances. And Lord, your word promises that you will bless us. When we honor you, you will bless us. And it may not always be material blessings. There are many ways in which you bless us. May we not see you as a system to work but may we see you as a God to love. And Lord, you are so good. May we worship you for your goodness for all of eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you.